The reading is taken from the first book of Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm fairly confident that if you were to visit any primary school during lunchtime, you'd find a large crowd or several crowds of children playing football. Watching a group of children playing football, however, is a very different experience to watching um, Premier Division footballers in televised matches. The professional footballers on a team seem to know exactly what they're doing. Passing the ball between them, covering the pitch, marking players, they seem to have a strategy. They're working together as a team under the leadership of the captain and the manager. When children get together for a kick around in the playground... It frequently ends up more like a swarm of children 
tripping over one another, following the ball, even tackling members of their own team in their eagerness to get to it. There's no one overall in control, no agreed strategy. Everyone, it seems, is just playing for themselves. Now, the beautiful game, it may be in Premier Division matches, is not very beautiful on the playground. I've got children. I've seen it. (laughs) Now, what on earth does football have to do with King David? There are probably various tenuous links you could make, and hopefully it will become obvious as I continue to speak. This evening's sermon is the first in a series on Israel's most famous king, King David. And we all we know about his life is taken from the historical books in the Bible, 1 and 2 Samuel and the books of Chronicles. But most of our time today we'll be thinking about why Israel needed a king at all. Why is so much excitement about David? Why did they need a king? And where does this fit into God's plan for the world? So why did they need a king, and where did that fit in with God's plan for the world? And to do that, we're going to start right at the very beginning, which, according to Maria in The Sound of Music, is a very good place to start. So, cue Eden. (laughs) I thought I'd go for that rather than one of the more sort of classical depictions. Strategically placed hair, etc., So, beginning in Eden, this speaks of the beautiful game. Everything is in its place. The players are working well together under the authority and command of a captain. Of course, I'm talking about the almighty creator God who lovingly created human beings so that they might live in relationship with him, as Will was explaining earlier. And the relationship was one of loving rule. God, the creator, is a king. So we are created to live under his loving rule and to enjoy his protection. The beautiful game. Because of the the way that the world is made, we need a king. We need a ruler. But the next part of the story results in a situation more like the chaotic scenes we witness in the playground. All humans, like their ancestors, Adam and Eve, have rebelled against God and his loving rule. We choose instead to be in charge of our own lives. It's what the Bible calls sin. We live for ourselves, and we live according to our own rules. I'll be boss of my own life. Choosing to be outside of God's loving rule and protection leads to chaos. The chaos that we see in the world around us, the chaos in our own lives, All the problems in the world can be traced back to the fact that we choose to be lords of our own lives instead of God. Although people need a king, they choose to live without one. And so in the world, instead of all humans having God as their king, there are hundreds of countries, each with their own leaders, and billions of people who disregard their creator and go their own way. Human kings, queens, and rulers... They do provide some sort of order in the world, but basically the world in general, and our lives in particular, are full of chaos and strife, conflict, war. And we're beset with problems because we don't have the divine king to rule us, unite us, guide us, protect us. People need a king 
One of my all-time favorite books is Lord of the Rings. And in this story, the place it's set, a place called Middle-earth, is in a time of crisis. It's threatened by an evil power, Sauron, or Sauron. Its peoples are divided and scattered, the peoples of Middle-earth. But there is hope. There is the hope of a king who can unite them. The people need a king. That's all you get. I'm so sorry it's back to me. What did Gandalf say? There is one who could unite them. One who could reclaim the throne of Gondor. There was hope. Just as in Middle Earth, there was hope. In the Bible, we learn that it is God's plan that we should, and we see that God's plan brought about in the rest of the Bible, that there was to be a king. Humans, having rebelled against God and his loving rule, were to be given another chance. Humans, human beings, people need a king. Having rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, we were to be given another chance. But before we get to David, who was king around 1000 BC, we have to go back to about 2000 BC, to a distant ancestor of David's whose name was Abraham. Can we have the next slide? God called Abraham to leave his family and to go to another place where God promised that he would give Abraham descendants and he would become a great nation. This nation was to be, called, was to be God's chosen people. People who would experience God's rule and blessing. A bit like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So God chose a people. 
But in order to know the blessing of God, the people needed a king. Part of God's promise to Abraham was that from his descendants, there would be a king. There would be a line of kings. And in time, God revealed that this line of kings would be from the tribe of Judah. As God promises, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. So promise of a king who would be a descendant of Judah. Three generations on from Abraham, the people of God were growing, but they ended up in Egypt, enslaved. God, their king, heard their cries and delivered them. Of course, this is where Moses comes in, and this is cue for a, a, a cartoon. These sermons get recorded, and anyone listening at home afterwards is not going to benefit from this cartoon. Um, it'll just take too long to explain it. But anyway, you need to be, you need to be here. Anyway. anyway, for a time, for a time, the people do not have a human king. So Moses, and then his successor Joshua, and a bit later Samuel, they rule, in a sense, for God. They are in God's place. God sort of speaks to them directly, and, um, and they look after the people. But there is provision in the law that uh, God gave to Moses for a human king. And so although the whole earth is God's, God brings about, God establishes a kingdom, a theocracy, But this is a kingdom that is ethnically restricted as the descendants of Abraham. And it's geographically limited. Eventually the people do ask for a king. And they're given Saul. But Saul isn't a descendant of Judah. He's a bit of a a, a temporary king in a way. In fact, sometimes he's not even called a king. Sometimes he's called a prince or something else. But he's almost a caretaker king until... We meet David, who is a descendant of Judah. David is identified as God's chosen king, his anointed. And that's what we heard about in our reading. And so our reading records a really significant time in the history of God's people. God's chosen one arrives. The people need a king, and he's there. He's arrived. God's chosen king was going to act on God's behalf. He was going to rule his people and protect them from their enemies. King David had been chosen to represent God, the king. And this is why David is described as being a man after God's heart. A man after God's own heart. And he was given God's spirit, as we learned at the end of our reading, so that he could represent God and that he could rule God's people as their king. Now, David was chosen to be king, not on the basis of what he looked like, how tall he was, which is good, encouraging for some of us. For example, much more important to God was what was going on on the inside. As we're told, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When it came to choosing someone to lead God's people, What was on the inside was clearly the most important. And unlike Saul before him, David had a concern for the Lord. He had a a concern for a heart of wisdom and integrity and a concern for the well-being of God's people. One of the ways that David was like God was that 
He was a shepherd. And David was taken from looking after one type of flock to looking after another. You see, God is frequently described in the Bible, spoken of in the Bible, as being a shepherd. For example, one of the most famous psalms in the Bible, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want, he makes me down to lie, as the old-fashioned words. The Lord, God, is a shepherd. And so as king, David scattered, gathered sorry, the scattered people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel, into one united people, like gathering together a flock of scattered sheep. He protected them from their enemies, much as a shepherd would have protected his flock from predators. And David cared for those people. You see, God's people needed a king, but they, simply, they didn't simply need a king to legislate and rule from on high. They needed a shepherd king to look after them. And David was a successful king. That's roughly where he was king. He was a successful king at protecting his people. And with his son Solomon after him, who built on his foundations, the kingdom of Israel grew and it knew economic prosperity. And God was faithfully worshipped during that time. But after David and Solomon, things went into decline. Subsequent kings failed to maintain and expand the theocracy. And God's people started to focus on the promised Messiah. God's prophets spoke of one who was to come. A son of David who would rule forever, overcome God's enemies and establish peace. And this is, of course, where Jesus comes in. Jesus was another son of Bethlehem. Did you notice from our reading, David was a son of Bethlehem. And Jesus is King David's greater son. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the anointed king, whose rule is not ethnically restricted nor geographically limited. The kingdom of King Jesus has been opened up for all people of all times. Jesus is the universal king. So while David was described as a man after God's heart, Jesus is completely in tune with God's will. Jesus himself said that he only does what he sees the Father doing. And as David the shepherd boy became David the shepherd king, so Jesus is the ultimate shepherd of the sheep, the good shepherd. People are described in the Bible as being like sheep that have gone astray, each to his or her own way. That's you and me. We wander off. We wander away from God and get ourselves into trouble. And we need a shepherd king to rescue us from the mess we get ourselves into and to bring us to safe pasture. Jesus is the good shepherd who seeks out those who are lost, cares for them, and gathers the people of God into one, protecting them from their enemies. So while King David only had partial and temporary success in defeating the enemies of God's people and establishing peace, King Jesus, on the other hand, King Jesus dying and rising again, gained complete mastery over the enemies of God's people, completely thrashing sin, death, and the powers of evil. And so the kingdom of God has exploded beyond the physical descendants of Abraham and the physical border of Israel and is open to all humans. By sending Jesus to be king, the true fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, 
Rebellious humans have another chance. Rebellious humans have another opportunity to once again experience God's loving rule and protection, both in this life and the next. The kingdom of God is growing year on year as God's purposes are worked out. And it's for each of us to decide whether or not we want to be out or in. You and I need a king. Who will you choose? Will you choose to be in charge of your own life? Or will you choose for Jesus, the good shepherd, to be in charge? Will you choose Jesus to be your king?